It's the Pete Callender Show. With more than 20 years as a reporter and radio host in North Carolina, Pete Callender is helping solve the world's problems one podcast at a time. Because he's a giver. And now, here's Pete. What is going on? Welcome to the show. Thank you very much for listening. Thanks for subscribing to the podcast. If you haven't already, please uh, subscribe. Go to thepetecalendarshow.com and click the subscribe button. You can't miss it. It's right there, right next to my big fat face. So uh, you can also uh, get it on all major podcasting platforms, for now at least. <laughs> for now. We're going to be talking about the uh, the big tech purge that has been occurring. What does it mean? Pros and cons. Uh, also want to thank the patrons that help make this program possible. Folks like Daniel and Jocelyn and Gary and Trent, Marlon, Nick, Lori, Catherine, Monica, and Les. Thanks so much for uh, supporting the show. They became patrons of the show. You can as well. Just go to thepetecalendarshow.com, click on the link that's at the top there, and sign up to be a patron. And then you get exclusive content. You get access to merchandise. Uh, we do the live streams. We did one last night. Uh, just for patrons. So if you want in on that action, go to the thepetecalendarshow.com. Also, uh, thank you to uh, one of our sponsors presenting the show today is Growers Hemp, North Carolina farmers that uh, were growing hemp. And they said, you know what? We got a bunch of our friends, other farmers that are growing hemp as well. And we've seen some of the operations by some of these other uh, hemp uh, companies and uh, we're not big fans of the way they do business. So why don't we do this business and it'll keep you know family farms in business and it will deliver a better quality product at a lower price to local folks. And that's what they've been doing for a couple of years now. Growershemp.com, that's the website, Growers Hemp. Uh, and uh, I take these CBD drops, the Growers Hemp Full Spectrum Hemp Extract. I take it before I go to bed. And when I go to bed, I, I fall asleep pretty quickly, and uh, I don't generally wake up unless, of course, the cat is wanting to be fed. <laughs> Although I will say he's gotten pretty good at telling time. Either that or his internal clock has now set itself to my alarm clock. So now he's getting up at like 4.56, you know, just before my alarm goes off. That's when he starts you know, swatting me and biting my fingers and stuff. So um, other than that, the CBD works great. Now, if they could find a way, <laughs> if they could find a way to keep the cat from attacking me, I don't know. Um, so what are you in it for? What's your wellness journey looking like? Go to growershemp.com. They want to answer all the questions that you have, and they know people have them about CBD products. So uh, go ahead and go to their website and get the answers to your questions. As with all CBD products, here's the official disclaimer that I got to read. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration, and the efficacy of these products has not been confirmed by FDA-approved research. These products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease, and nothing I have said is meant as a substitute for or alternative to information from your healthcare provider. Please consider Consult your healthcare professional about potential interactions or other possible complications before using any product. Growershemp.com. Go to the website, and if you type my name, Pete, in, as a promo code at checkout, you'll get 20% off. Growershemp.com. From North Carolina farmers to your home, Growers Hemp is about the hemp and not the hype. So in a piece at Real Clear Politics called The Great Social Silencing, uh, this is a piece by the Real Clear Media Fellow, Caleb Litaru, who is a senior fellow at the George Washington University Center for Cyber and Homeland Security. Uh, he writes that last week, 
Silicon Valley silenced the president. Uh, in unison, the social media giants, with an assist from Amazon and Apple, also eliminated their most popular conservative competitor and announced that their own moderation policies would now extend to other companies. Meanwhile, CNN openly called for Fox News to be banned from cable, while a major talk radio network issued new speech rules to its hosts, extending text moderation policies into the offline world. He goes on to say, most of the early social media platforms emphasized unfettered speech above all other considerations. I remember those days. I've been on Twitter for more than a decade, I think since 2009, I want to say. So I've seen this and and experienced this evolution in Twitter's business model over the years. Um, He goes on to say, over the years, this utopian dream has given way to an emphasis on healthy conversation and ever-changing enforcement. The courts have repeated, and by the way, this has tacked very closely to the way the society has shifted as well. And that has shifted, society has shifted, based on uh, the woke crowd, those who gave us the cry closets, right, the ideas of trigger warnings, which are actually counterproductive, um, actually further traumatized people. That's who gave us this new kind of uh, zeitgeist, right? These healthy conversations. And now speech is literally violence, which is really a remarkable, ironic statement in and of itself, like self-contradicting <laughs> in that right? speech is literally violence. I don't think you know what literally means then, Mr. I'm going to define speech for you. Uh, the courts have repeatedly ruled that Donald Trump's Twitter account is an official government outlet and thus he is not allowed to block users, right? He couldn't he couldn't block people that were attacking him. So uh, because the court said, "Oh no, it's official," right? And so that raises this question when Twitter took his account down because it was in violation of the terms of service, how can a private company establish acceptable speech rules for a government publication or silence it entirely? This is a great question. And by the way, I don't have an answer for it. I don't know if anybody has an answer for it. This is a whole new area of law. So he goes on to say this guy, Caleb Litaru, uh, he says, Democratic lawmakers in the press lamenting that Congress does not have the power to silence voices with which it disagrees and instead are urging Silicon Valley to exercise the power that only it holds, the ability to silence any voice from the digital world. This plea came from the very lawmakers who had once condemned social media platforms as dangerous monopolies. Hey, well, that was before they could use them, okay? <laughs> Even the ACLU, in its condemnation of Twitter's suspension of Trump, acknowledged the, quote, political realities of the incoming administration. Activist groups rushed to claim credit for silencing Trump touting the high-level discussions that they had had with Twitter leadership. So that's who's in charge. Just so we're all clear, that's who's in charge here. The German Chancellor, Angela Merkel, Angela Merkel, I forget how she pronounces it, uh, she warned of the dangers in silencing a democratically elected head of state. And when you're taking free speech guidance from the Germans, you know we're in trouble. You know we're in trouble. <laughs> so that leads us now to Parler. Parler was the Twitter clone, right? It emerged as uh, a competitor uh, right after Twitter banned 
Trump from its platform, Twitter or uh, Parler rather, started seeing a massive inflow of users. And these users were not very happy <laughs> because they had just fled Twitter and they were hoping that Trump was going to land on Twitter and so they or on Parler and so then they would have uh, a new place to, you know, have a direct mainline feed to Donald Trump. Then within days of Parler trending number one uh, in the app stores, people are just downloading this this app, this Parler app. Apple and Google then banned the sale of it from their respective app stores. It was a free app, but you could now no longer find it. You still can't on their stores, uh, banishing it from mobile devices. And then Parler's cloud hosting provider, Amazon Web Services, which is like the biggest backbone of the Internet that's out there. Amazon evicts Parler, which takes the site completely offline until a conservative cloud provider agreed to host it. But Parler says that they weren't built to be on that uh, host, and so it's not working correctly, and it's not going to work. And Parler says, look, this is probably it for us. We're done. Even if it can rebuild in some fashion without a smartphone app and being blacklisted by most service providers, Parler's just going to be uh, merely a shadow of its former self. He says it creates this whole thing. All of this has created a dangerous normalization of the silencing of dissent. Or uh, maybe it's a good thing. Maybe there's some benefit here. My next guess thinks so, that there's some positive development here. We'll get into that up next. First, I want to tell you about Rowena Patton. If you are thinking about buying or selling a house, then call the only agent that I called when Christy and I said, you know what, we were going to buy our house. Um, we went to Rowena Patton. Only call we made. It's the only call you need to make. Uh, the, I believe in her. And she told us questions to ask of a builder because we're having, we're, uh, the house is getting built in a development. And so we get to make some choices. It's called... Uh, build to suit, I think. And so you get some choices, but there are questions we did not know to ask, things we did not know um, to ask about, like the unknown unknowns. And when you get presented with certain choices, uh, which one is the better choice for the long term? Are we planning to sell the house in the future? If we do, by the way, we'll be using Rowena Patton again. Rowena Patton and her all-star powerhouse team, they outsell 99% of the realtors in the state. They have homes in all price points. They have buyers lined up. The phone number is 333-4483, mountainhomehunt.com, 333-4483, mountainhomehunt.com, and then start packing. Joining me now is Chris Riley. He's a resident senior fellow of Internet Governance at the R Street Institute, the website rstreet.org. Welcome to the show, Chris. How are you? I'm well. How are you? Thank you for having me. Certainly, certainly. So um, a lot of discussion uh, when we're not talking about insurrection. We're talking about <laughs> uh, Internet access on some uh, for some uh, uh, platforms, Parler specifically. And this is kind of reminiscent, I thought, of what happened with Gab, another one of these sort of Twitter mimickers um, and uh, walk us through. You think that the uh, the actions by uh, the Apple store, the Google store and then Amazon Web Services that you don't have any problem with the way they handled uh, Parler in taking it down. Is that is that fair? Absolutely correct. Yeah, in fact, I think it's a good thing. Internet and insurrection. Those are the uh, the themes of the week. Right. But yeah. they're but they're very related in this case. It's uh, the, the most important thing to keep clear about this is this was not a government action. 
when government comes in and starts setting, setting speech standards or saying what kinds of things can be done, then we get into real First Amendment problems and some very tricky territory. There might have been plenty of people in government that wanted to see this outcome happen, but Google and Apple and Amazon did this of their own volition. They each independently went to say, we don't want to be associated with Parler. We don't want our services to be used by Parler. And they have the freedom in, in the American uh, business climate to, to work with whomever they want to work with and, and not want to. Obviously, it's a complicated problem, right? When you take down something like Parler, um, it, lots of people are affected by that. But Parler is uh, it's an independent service. It can find other businesses to work with. It can it can try to make another another go at this if it wants to. So, uh, but you recognize that's going to be virtually impossible. I think the CEO uh, just today said that they're basically dead. They're 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 not going to be able to come back from this, right? Like, you do recognize that, though, right? Absolutely, do. Yeah, I think it would be very hard. the The only way that they could do that is with you know some some non American companies who maybe do some um, more more other uh, colorful things. Let's say, uh, in practice, the parlor that we know it is done, and and it's done unless they choose to change the practices that they had put in place that led their services to be used for organizing of extremely violent activity. They they did this to themselves by saying we're not going to do aggressive moderation. We're not going to try to get involved if you are, are saying things that we don't like. And while in, in spirit, I respect that. Freedom of expression is important, not just in the context of what the government can't do, but we want to see a diversity of, of views and opinions online. But you still have to engage when violence is involved. And if Parler were to take a step back and say, hey, mea culpa, we didn't do enough here. We're going to try this again. We're going to change our policies. We're going to put in um, real moderation capabilities. We're going to join the Trust and Safety Professional Association. We're going to try to be a conservative, friendly social media site, but one that doesn't allow violence. I think they could probably take another chance at it. I don't, I don't think they're going to try that, though. So what of the argument that they made that uh, the reason why they could not uh, do some of this moderation was because they got overwhelmed with new users after Twitter banned Donald Trump. And in reaction to that, a lot of people started moving over to Parler. And when that happened, they 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 were being overwhelmed and they, they could not keep up because that's that's what uh, they're what chief policy officer Amy Peikoff has said. Uh, they could not keep up with the overwhelming surge. I mean, I think it is a hard problem. Moderation is a hard problem. It takes scale, but they could slow their admission of users. There are things that they could do in order to try to mitigate that harm. The, the, there were documented evidence of posts brought to their attention by their business partners. I think I read one article that said Amazon presented 98 different pieces of evidence of this kind of violent content. And, and while Parler took down some of them, it didn't take down all of them. I mean, I, I'm not working on the trust and safety teams of any of these companies, so I can't, I, I can't speak to the exact specifics. But the sense I get is that Amazon and Google and Apple all gave Parler a chance, and Parler didn't do enough to, to meet what was considered to be the, the, the threshold for responsibility here. You mentioned the standards, and that's really been, I think, uh, the core criticism for people, I mean, when they're not screaming, like First Amendment violations, which yeah. is not accurate. But a consistent standard is really yeah. uh, is really the rub. Uh, in my mind, it is, because to me, that starts opening up questions of reasonable moderation. Is it reasonable moderation you're engaging in if you're not applying consistent standards? And this kind of hooks into the Section 230 language as well. I am not, <clears throat> let's see, 
I, I'd have to reread Section 230 to see whether that is a direct tie-in, but I certainly agree with the the sentiment that a consistent standard is really, really important. And and frankly, we're not seeing perfect consistency right now. I don't think we're seeing perfect consistency from anyone. Even after the platforms took down President Trump's account, they still allow dictators in foreign countries who are saying lots of awful things to still communicate and use their services. And I think they regard that as sort of a, we will get to that, but just like Parler was overwhelmed, so they too are overwhelmed and they have to do these things as they can put resources on them. I think the most important thing that we need to work on together going forward is what are the right consistent standards? How can we do that? How can we encourage more consistency in the space? And, and frankly, I think there's possibly a, a constructive role for government in that in that vein as well. I, I am kind of curious, though, because you, you mentioned this uh, you know, Ayatollah Khomeini, for example, is yeah. uh, is listed on there. You, you got a bunch of these uh, dictators. I mean, you've got a Chinese propagandist that's actually on there talking about how they're sterilizing massive numbers of people in their country uh, as part of, you know, genocidal operations and nobody seems to care. And when brought to their attention, the social media companies don't do anything about it. But then they turn around and shut down Parler. So I'm uh, like, so it, it goes beyond for me. I think it goes beyond more than just an inconsistent standard. They're actually making choices about who lives and who dies, so to speak, right, on, on their platforms. And why does one stay up and one doesn't? And you mentioned, you know, they're overwhelmed like Parler was. Well, if being overwhelmed is not is not a get out of jail free card for Parler, then it shouldn't be for Twitter and it shouldn't be for Facebook where or Gmail for that matter, where now we're learning like a lot of these a lot of the insurrectionists were planning this stuff on those platforms, not on Parler. So then what? Where, where does that leave us? Yeah, I mean, you raise a good point, of course, and and I think that the 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 sense that I have is that Parler was recognized or at least considered by its business partners to not entirely be operating in good faith here. I I am again, I don't work at those companies, so I don't right. want to speak out of turn, but that's the sense that I get. So while there is very much an overwhelming feel to a lot of content moderation work that's happening at a lot of companies, there's a difference between we're working on it, we're sorry, we're going to keep finding more resources, and we choose not to go down that far route because we are trying to be the free expression, anything goes platform, right? Categorically different philosophies and approaches. I mentioned the Trust and Safety Professional Association earlier. This is a relatively new thing in the ecosystem, but it's something I'm really excited about. We're starting to see as this problem gets harder and harder, as more and more companies need to be good at it and aren't right now. The professionalization of the trust and safety space is a thing we should all really welcome and really be encouraged by. Uh, but yeah, it's hard. And and if you get into email too, email is a, uh, used for everything, right? The internet is used mm-hmm. for everything. Computer Computers are used for everything. Electricity is used in the, <laughs> so many of these things too, right? You have to figure out where to draw the right lines. And, and I'm not going to say that it's an easy exercise or even that 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 people always get it right in, in positions of power. Of course they don't. Of course mistakes are made. Where I draw the line, and one of the reasons why I wrote the piece that I did about Parler is Parler was not only being used to organize, it was being used to recruit. And when you are creating a forum where people who are being fed this steady stream of misinformation and efforts of manipulating them from all sides, 
everyone is trying to manipulate you when you go online advertisers and others trying to get you to do what they want you to do to buy what they want you to buy to see the world the way they want to see you it's a hard environment for people and so if you in that same space have a domestic terrorist cell essentially trying to recruit people in to grow their ranks that's the kind of thing where we just got to draw a hard line and say we can't allow that to happen and we saw why last week more with chris in a minute first let me tell you about the split king mattress blowout going on right now at mattress man mattressmanstores.com it is the mlk day sale you can pick up free adjustable bases with the purchase of select mattresses uh the split king mattress is it's a king size mattress but it's two pieces so the, the so there are two mattresses basically it's split right down the middle so what does that mean well you can customize your bed one side soft one side firm one side head up one side feet up one side head and feet up one side head and feet down like uh, the permutations are limitless so go to mattressmanstores.com or better yet walk into any of their four locations in Asheville Arden and Hendersonville they do ship nationwide uh, they have five-star local delivery service. They have a 120-day comfort guarantee, and they have the triple zero deal going on, which is zero money down, zero APR for 24 months, and zero payments for 90 days. So think of it. You don't even have, you're not going to be paying on the mattress until springtime. How awesome is that? Almost as awesome as the mattresses, like the Biltmore Collection by Restonic, sold exclusively at Mattress Man. These are the mattresses that are at the Biltmore uh, Hotel and Inn that are on the grounds there of the estate, made by Restonic in Fayetteville, so uh, support the local economy. You can also pick up a 14-inch hybrid queen mattress for just $578, your choice of firmness. Go to mattressmanstores.com, check out the inventory, and experience the difference at Mattress Man, buy local, and sleep better. Chris Riley is resident senior fellow of Internet Governance at the R Street Institute, and uh, you wrote a piece at the Washington Examiner. You just mentioned uh, the title, How Taking Parlor Down Could Actually Help Save the Internet, which I think is probably a counterintuitive uh, thought for a lot of folks that are uh, up to date on this story. But you write that, quote, failure to act would have emboldened critics on the left in particular who are about to control Congress and right. the White House. So I am curious at what point, because I think earlier in our conversation, you said that this wasn't a direct action by the government. And so therefore it's preferable. Um, I'm curious, though, does it is it preferable if you don't need a direct action by the government and you're just operating because, you know, that's what they would like? You know, you're you're you know what they want. So it's kind of a wink and a nod system to do what, you know, these folks who are now in charge want you to do. So you'll do it. Is that any better? I think it's a lot better, and it's a lot better for a few reasons. Um, but one is they're doing it not just because they think the government wants them to do it, but because it's in the right thing to do for the other reasons that I discussed. But when government comes in and mandates a specific outcome, there are always externalities and costs to that. In this space in particular, some of the things that the European Union has been doing around terrorist content have been incredibly interventionist and impose incredible costs on businesses, speech restrictions that go far beyond the scope of what they're really trying to rein in through government action. That's the kind of thing I'm worried about here. In the American context, it all gets wrapped up into Section 230, which is the part of law that you mentioned earlier mm -hmm. that confers an immunity onto tech companies who operate in good faith moderation activities. The number of calls to repeal this statute over the past year is countless. I'd get rich if I got a dollar every time somebody said we should repeal Section 230. 
that would be a horrible, horrible thing. And it wouldn't even matter so much for Parler, who came out and said, we should repeal it, basically. Um, it would matter for every small internet company, everyone with the website. It didn't matter for, for you mm-hmm. and for your radio, because you wouldn't be able to do some of the things that you do, or you'd be risking these troll vicious lawsuits coming out at you all the time so when government has a desire to achieve an outcome and the private sector go goes out and says don't worry we'll take care of that that's a great outcome when the government instead says you're not acting fast enough i'm going to pass a law that does it sometimes that's what needs to happen but sometimes not and sometimes it creates all sorts of downstream costs and consequences. Right. And just uh, to be clear, I am not in support of repealing Section 230. I am open oh, to the I, idea. Oh, I wasn't saying you Oh, are, no, yeah. I know. I just, for, for, for folks who may be <laughs> yeah, listening. I appreciate like, it. I, yeah, I want to be clear. Thank like, you. I'm not a fan of repealing it. I am open to the idea of amending it. I don't know how. <laughs> I, I'm not that smart. I, I think, though, that there is room for improvement in it, but I'm not a fan of taking it down for precisely the reason you said, that it, it does, it, it kneecaps a lot of startups. And I think that's kind of 100%. why. Yeah. Yeah, and, 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 and that's why, and I don't know a lot about Parler. I think I set up an account there when they first started, you know, a, several years ago. I don't even remember. Um, but I am growing more and more concerned about deplatforming. I'm not a QAnon believer. I think it's kooky, but I saw Twitter start purging all of these QAnon accounts yeah. as well. And that's concerning yeah. because that means people are making decisions behind the yeah. scenes. We don't have any... Uh, understanding of it and what's going into their calculations to essentially take down conspiracy theories that they think are harmful or wrong or toxic, uh, yet they leave others up. We mentioned earlier about the Ayatollah calling for the eradication of Jews. That's right. Uh, but also, you know, the Russia collusion story, right? That whole story for four years now. And I was of the opinion, let's hear the investigation, let it play out. I want to hear everybody argue their points. But if this is the standard, might that have been shut down as well? Because that turned out not to be yeah. true. So like, I, yeah. I, I'm very concerned when they start taking those types of actions. Are you? Yeah. Yeah. I think that it's it's a, a very common feeling right now. And, and I certainly share it to a degree to feel like we're not in control of our Internet experience. We have big companies. We don't know exactly what they're doing. And, and they're at such an integral role in how we communicate with each other and how we how we post information how we share information i get that i i like to separate it i think these are while very related separate conversations mm-hmm. one is about concentrated power in the tech sector and our sort of feeling that we've lost our our agency in this space and our ability to really take ownership of our experience on the internet the other is how they manage content and how they do these policies how they implement them consistently. And I try to separate these because I actually think the path to solving them, and I have ideas on both, to be clear, is very, very different. So the content piece first, and then we'll get back to the other one. Okay. We're starting to see some moves in the right direction now. And what it gets back to is the piece that we talked about earlier about consistency and predictability in what's going to happen. I see a constructive role for government in encouraging transparency in moderation practices and in how you execute on it. And more and more transparency helps us know what's going to happen and helps keep us from being surprised if we post something and then it gets taken down. As well, accountability, making sure that companies say what they're going to do 
and then actually do what they said they were going to do. I think there's a constructive role for government there. And I'm going to be writing a lot more about that. You should have me back on. We can talk about that more in the weeks and months to come. Concentrated power and the tech ecosystem. We've seen a lot of attention on this over the past couple of years. Very, very significant antitrust lawsuits. I don't know where those are going to go. I do sympathize that there's a lot of concentration. I don't know that that's necessarily a bad thing. Big is not necessarily bad. But I am always looking for ways, whether through the government or otherwise, that we can encourage more of a feeling of user control over the internet experience, because I think that helps. I think it's less about the fact that these companies are big and successful. There are big and successful companies everywhere. And more that we don't necessarily always feel like we're in control of what we do and of what happens to us online. And that's what we should focus on. Right. And I will say, you know, when I uh, uh, launched uh, my business and uh, I was I always was using different types of platforms, I had a Google because I have a, a, a smartphone that's Gmail connected. And I started using a lot of their products because like they're very convenient. I, you know, like I know they're yeah. scraping all of my personal information, <laughs> but it's super convenient. It gets a lot you know of stuff what? done. They build good products and they give them to you for free, right? Right. <laughs> so like I get it and there's this tension there, but by the uh, by the same token, I've just now become aware there's this new uh platform uh, uh browser called Brave and I started looking at that one. I'm intrigued by some of that. They're looking to monetize various aspects of the user experience in different new ways that I thought, oh, this right. this is an interesting concept. You're going to ask people to watch the ads and then let them decide whether or not they want to support creators by clicking on ads on various sites. And that, that seems, I don't know, that's, that seems like a healthier direction rather than... I think it's, yeah, <laughs> the, the most important part for me is seeing innovation and seeing experimentation, right? Seeing things like Brave. There's another new one. There's a search startup called Neva, N-E-E-V-A, that was actually started by a, a former Googler. Whether these things work out and end up succeeding or not, I love seeing innovation, and I love seeing innovation in the business models in particular. I think that's one of the places where we can really help make the internet the best it can be by encouraging more innovation in business models and how you get to a sustainable, successful business. Um, it's, it's something where we could really use a lot more thinking. Chris Riley, the resident senior fellow of Internet Governance at the R Street Institute. Is there anything else you'd like to add you think is important or interesting to note that we haven't already covered? I, I think the most important thing, and we've touched on this just a little bit, but I'm very fond of saying you have to keep an eye on Europe. The U.S. has not been nearly as active in setting Internet policy or really changing the conversation on Internet governance over the past few years as the European Union has been. And in everything that we're talking about now, while the U.S. has been pretty active over the past few months, Europe is a really, really important place to keep an eye on, too. That's good advice. I appreciate the time. Uh, and we'll have you back on to uh, to talk about your next round of writing on Section 230. I look forward to it. I would love that. Yes. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed the discussion very much. All right. So do you agree with Chris Riley? Let me know in the comments at uh, the Facebook group, the Facebook page, The Pete Callender Show uh, on Facebook. Also, you can hit me up at Twitter at Pete Callender. So um, you can also hit up General Equipment Rental while you're online. Go to GeneralRents.com and take a look at one of the uh, companies that help make this show possible. General Equipment Rental. They are located in Weaverville. They're on Merriman Avenue and Reams Creek Road, right at that intersection there. Um, you know where the AB Emblem uh, 
facility is, they're right there. Uh, and so go on in and you will get your choice of basically any piece of equipment. For whatever job you need done, they've got the equipment. This would have been super helpful for me if they could have just been located in the Charlotte area when I lived down there and I was renovating my house, <laughs> which like I wish I had them down there because I was in need of so many tools, but I could not afford to go out and buy. Some of these tools are really expensive, you know, and uh, if you're doing a lot of work, you can't afford to go out and buy every one of these tools just for one or two jobs. Um, and so and this is great. Also, a great solution for contractors. You're not doing a lot of, let's say, you know, tile work. Um, but if you do, then, uh, you know, you probably need to go out and buy a, a, a tile cutter, a tile saw. But if you don't, then just rent one for the whatever job you're doing and then give it back. It's a great business idea. General equipment rental, family owned and operated, three generations. Uh, and also keep in mind, they are your official licensed Husqvarna and Honda outdoor power equipment sales and service provider. And they also do equipment service and repair. Uh, and they've got everything. So if you need to redo your driveway, uh, got some drainage issues going on, you need to move a bunch of earth around, they got you covered. They, they have earth movers and the like. Uh, maybe you want to do some pressure washing. They've got that. Maybe you got to pressure wash uh, some area of your house that's up high. They got scaffolding so you don't fall off your ladder and kill yourself. They want you to live. General Equipment Rental, generalrents.com. Think outside your toolbox. So Rachel Bovard, Senior Advisor to the Internet Accountability Project, she writes at Newsweek.com that the rationale given by all of the big tech behemoths uh, for why they uh, uh, why they canceled Parler, she says it doesn't do enough to moderate the violent threats its users make on its platform, right? That was the argument. And this is rich, she says, coming from companies that host and circulate Facebook and Twitter, where violent threats proliferate on a daily basis. Twitter has even gone to court on free speech grounds to protect the use of its site for organizing protests, even ones where conduct is disorderly. Over the summer, many Black Lives Matter protests were organized on social media. Many of those protests later turned violent. All told, this summer's riots, which spanned 140 cities, caused more than $2 billion in damage and resulted in at least 25 deaths. Has anybody undertaken an investigation into the links between those riots and social media? Moreover, when it comes to their own... Ba no, because remember, that's all an idea. The Antifa folks, they, that's just an idea, as Joe Biden called them. Um, she says, when it comes to their own behavior, these companies deny any links could possibly exist between content moderation and offline harm. Last year, their representatives sat on a stage at a Department of Justice workshop and insisted that what is said or circulated on social media is not their fault. They just amplify the reach. Streaming a murder, for example... That's not at all the same as committing it. They've testified before Congress that their platforms should not be held in any way responsible for one image of a child's sexual abuse circulating more than 160,000 times. Law enforcement should just do more, they have argued. So, to condemn Parler for not doing enough, to make them liable, in other words, for any violence that might result from what people say directly contradicts the standards that these platforms hold for themselves, not to mention the standards they demand the U.S. government hold for them. She says that what uh, Apple and Google, Twitter, 
Facebook. What they did was clearly collusive behavior. She said what's happening to Parler has rendered the build your own argument moot. Conservatives can build as many alternatives as we want, she says, but should they grow at all powerful, the speech police will come for them and remove every piece of infrastructure that a growing company needs in order to access a mainstream audience. And this is a key point here. I would add that once you restrict these platforms outside of the, quote, mainstream culture, it then becomes very easy in fact, it is the norm to dismiss any kind of news or reporting or information that comes out of those sources. They get dismissed because they come from the right wing media. Oh, that's just, you know, those people over there, they're crazy. They're just, you know, they're racists over there. Right. That's that then gets dismissed. Well, I'm sorry. And then, and then reporters <clears throat> on social media, on the mainstream uh, social media platforms, they get to then say things like, uh, well, you know, I'm sorry I don't spend a lot of time over in the right wing echo chamber. So I wasn't aware of this story that, you know, all you righties are all upset about. See, so when you banish people out of the, quote, mainstream and you banish these platforms, now you've created a built in excuse to ignore anything that ever comes out of there. And generally speaking, that's going to be stuff that makes you look bad <laughs> if you're not right. If you are of the left and you're in the, quote, mainstream, then it's going to make you look bad. By the way, I don't consider the leftists to be the mainstream. They, they think they are because they control the dominant forms of expression. And that's a that that was a big miss by conservatives, just like education. Um, she goes on to say big tech has both market control and narrative control. She says later, this behavior cannot be tolerated in a free market, let, uh, much less a free society. Laissez-faire conservatives and libertarians, anybody who cares about liberty really, should be speaking out in force against corporations colluding to silence competitors. Whether you disagree with Parler's content moderation policies or not, a society that tolerates this level of corporate control over speech, information, and free thought is one where self-government, where the people rule, will quickly be sacrificed for something resembling a corporate plutocracy. See, Apple and Google taking Parler off their stores and then Amazon just completely banishing them off of the Internet. See, all of that is simply proof that conservatives have been completely paranoid about being targeted. That's really going on here. <laughs> right. See, you guys are morons. You think you're being targeted... Just because we took down this, I mean, that's the thing too, like the only reason it gets this rap as a uh, a right-wing place or somewhere where conservatives went is because Donald Trump got kicked off Twitter and Parler was like the natural place for them for him to go, so his followers all started going over there. Um, there yeah, because there, there, are, there are massive right-wing echo chambers on Twitter and Facebook. And the internet, oh, they're all over the place. This is, the, this is what kills me. Like th These types of echo chambers and these discussion groups and these safe spaces for, uh, you know, for the paranoid, these places exist already. You're never going to be able to tamp them all out unless you go full China. Matt Welch, right, uh, he's a writer, libertarian at Reason.com. He says the great deplatforming will be, at least at first, 99% non-governmental exercises of free association rights. He says, and I'm not going to like it, locking down bad speakers and actors out of platforms and services will inevitably also exclude the non-bad. 
dominant cultures will grow more intolerant. Ken Gardner said if Twitter is going to suspend Trump for inciting protesters to riot, then it needs to apply that same standard to the countless left-wing politicians and pundits who have done the exact same thing for months on this platform. Otherwise, they're lying about their real reasons. Well, see, I think Ken is missing the fundamental principle that is at play here, which is it's different when we do it. Will Chamberlain. Apple says that Apple is demanding Parler be held responsible for the content posted by its users or it will take it off iOS. So basically, Apple demanded that Parler waive its Section 230 protections while lobbying to maintain its own 230 privileges. Tom Elliott, the founder of Grabian, which uh, pulls audio and uh, puts a lot of clips out there, uh, video and audio clips. A lot of radio stations use the service. Tom Elliott says, I always expected this kind of big tech purge to come once a Democrat was in office, but their inability to wait even that long shows just how dangerously power hungry and vengeful they are. Things will only get worse from here. In his monologue yesterday, Brian Stelter on CNN simultaneously endorsed tech companies deplatforming conservatives as well as denounced conservatives for ending up on fringier websites where they are radicalized. This is a great point. It's what I was saying earlier, right? That you, you banish them off of mainstream outlets and then you criticize them for being someplace where they get radicalized. By the way, Dylan Roof, the guy who went down to Mother Emanuel Church in Charleston and murdered a bunch of black parishioners, right, because he was trying to, re, to ignite the race war, right? That idiot, that murderer, completely radicalized on mainstream internet sites, completely online radicalization. So don't tell me this is about Parler. In fact, James O'Keefe at Project Veritas uh, just put out a video, undercover video of Jack Dorsey, the CEO and founder of Twitter, talking about how this is going to be a weeks long or maybe even longer purge that they are doing. They are wiping out anybody who's like QAnon, which I think those people are crazy, but uh, they're conspiracy theorists and all that. Most of them are harmless conspiracy nutballs and everything, but... Uh, if you're going to start deplatforming and banning people because they believe in conspiracies, then I expect you to start going after everybody that pushed the Russia collusion lie, because that's what that was as well. It may have been done with a little bit more professionalism, but that's what it was as well. And Firefox, they actually have a... Um, uh, blog where uh, the company, this is a web browser, the company says, there is no question that social media played a role in the attack on the Capitol, but as reprehensible as the actions of Donald Trump are, the rampant use of the internet to foment violence and hate and reinforce white supremacy is about more than one personality. Trump is certainly not the first politician to exploit the architecture of the internet in this way, and he won't be the last. We need solutions that don't start after untold damage has been done. Uh, changing these dangerous dynamics requires more than just the temporary silencing or permanent removal of bad actors. Additional, precise, and specific actions must be taken, they say. Reveal who is paying for advertisements, how much they are paying, and who is being targeted. Commit to meaningful transparency of platform algorithms so we know how and what content is being amplified, to whom, and the associated impact. Turn on, by default, the tools to amplify factual voices over disinformation. Well, now, who gets to decide what is disinformation? 
because I remember when a whole bunch of people in the, quote, mainstream media, these trusted sources, were telling us the actual information was that Donald Trump uh, is uh, a Russian asset and that he colluded with the Russians in order to steal the election from Hillary Clinton. Does that disinformation get amplified? See, all of this stuff kind of goes back to like a 2020 hindsight posture that you somehow know what the truth is because you know what it is. And so I'm going to preemptively shut down people who are not telling the truth. Some things, yes, are obvious, but when people start spinning out theories or they start, you know, asking questions about government actions and the like, is that going to get slammed with a disinformation label? What exactly are you guys talking about here? They say, and finally, the the Mozilla people say, work with independent researchers to facilitate in-depth studies of the platform's impact on people and our societies and what we can do to improve things. A little late for that. Yeah, you might, I don't know, you, you may have wanted to examine the impact on societies a little bit earlier on. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Um, David Harsanyi at National Review has got a piece called Free Speech is a Value, It's Not Just a Right. More on that in a minute. First, uh, go to Old Grouch's Military Surplus in downtown Clyde. It's on Main Street, and you can score some really cool uh, items. I just got a picture. Uh, one of our listeners got one of the military jackets for his daughter. She loves it. Uh, he's got uh, wool sweaters, military field jackets that are in solid green. They're in camouflage as well. Wool and fleece toboggans, wool socks, Gore-Tex jackets. So all of your cold weather gear. Also, he's got Kevlar, the finest Italian military Kevlar helmets. I don't know if that's... <laughs> Do they say it like that? The finest mil- uh, Italian military Kevlar helmets. Uh, these are actually really good pieces, solid pieces, great price. And this kind of body armor usually sells out very quickly. He can help you build a first aid kit. So if you're a hiker, a camper, a hunter, um, or you want to have a first aid kit available for your bug out bag, whatever it is, get a first aid kit from Old Grouch's Military Surplus. He's got gun accessories. He's got ammo cans, which are great for storage. He's got backpacks. He's got it all. Go to Old Grouch's Military Surplus downtown Clyde. Um, It's across the street from the anti-aircraft gun. Yes, indeed. And 24-7 at oldgrouch.com. And remember, tell him you heard it here on the podcast. uh, He'd be very appreciative to know that. And I am as well, by the way. So David Arsani says some of the nation's most powerful corporations have engaged in a concerted effort at the behest of a major political party to limit the speech of millions of Americans who engaged in wrong think. But if you say that targeted deplatforming, though not Stalinist, is troubling, right? If you just say that, oh, this is troubling, which, by the way, I have, and I get attacked for it just by saying this is troubling, okay? The same people who want to compel everybody to buy state-mandated health insurance, the same people who want to dictate how corporations compensate their employees, the same people who want to force nuns to buy a board of fashions, the same people who want to destroy the lives of bakers and florists who run businesses according to long-held religious beliefs, these same people will vigorously defend the value of free association rights that allow the corporations to act this way. And they will call me a hypocrite, not realizing that when they do, they are calling themselves hypocrites as well. 
right? Because if I just say, man, this is kind of troubling. I don't like the way these corporate entities seem to be colluding with each other to shut down free speech and competitors at the behest of a political party that I you know, don't prefer. Uh, then they're like, well, you're a hypocrite. Think of it like a baker not wanting to make a cake. Oh, I see. So you're okay with the baker not wanting to make the cake? That's different. Okay. Right. So it's just, it's an escape hatch out of the, out of the difficult ethical question being presented. Okay. He, Harsani says, I'm pretty skeptical that most of these people are genuine champions of individual market choices and aren't just super excited about silencing people. That's really what's going on here, I suspect. There are a lot of people that either cannot logically formulate an argument or because of the weakness of their position, uh, or they are not capable intellectually to do so. And so it's just easier to just shut up, right? Just, just shut up. That's such an easier approach. And by the way, that's why they call you names is because if they can call you names, this is, you know, attacking the messenger. It doesn't matter uh, what your idea is. The only thing that matters is what I think is motivating that idea, which I also have no proof of, but I'm going to assume it's the worst racism, sexism, whatever. And then I get to dismiss whatever it is that you're saying. This is what cancel culture is all about, right? So the violent rioting at Capitol Hill Say, uh, David Harsanyi writes, uh, by a few hundred seditious MAGA yahoos spurred on by the president has given lots of people the pretext to embrace censorship as they eagerly and quite cynically assign collective guilt. He goes on to say that the inclination to shut people up is an illiberal one, just as the defense of speech is a liberal virtue, whether the right is codified in law or not. Once dominant corporate and cultural elites, in this case, a group of big tech CEOs and employees who are highly susceptible to political pressure, once they collude to decide how people are treated or are allowed to interact, how they're allowed to engage functionally in censorship, right? Just because the government isn't doing it directly, but is simply, you know, leaning on and pressuring a, a, a company to do so, it, it, you know, functionally is the same outcome. And once we normalize that idea that corporations have an extrajudicial duty to limit speech in the name of safety, a rationalization, by the way, that is as old as censorship itself, well, the spirit of the First Amendment is being corroded, and the real thing is surely soon to follow. Twitter claims that it's merely banning incitement, by which it means conspiratorial contentions about the 2020 election being stolen. This, of course, is a new standard, since well-known personalities across Twitter have spread similar conspiracies about the 2016 election. Not to mention the downplaying of the murder and arson and billions of dollars of damages caused by leftist rioters last summer. Maybe we would be able to take Twitter's claim that it is upholding the sanctity of democracy a little bit more seriously if it didn't host Chinese commie officials who treat slave ownership as a social good or um, an anti-Semitic Iranian official who regularly uses exterminationist rhetoric. I'd rather we just hear everybody and then mock, stigmatize, debunk and undermine the bad actors, he says. He goes on to conclude later on in this piece. I'm only giving you the highlights here. He says, I remain one of those naive people 
who still believes that conservatives need to build their own news organizations and platforms. But if Amazon and Google, companies incidentally that gained their market share and power acting as disinterested corporate entities, if they are now going to do the bidding of one political party and dictate speech codes, well, it's not going to be easy for conservatives to do this. How can you, right? It's not going to be easy. Also not easy, being a reporter. It's not an easy job. It's not an easy enterprise. I was a reporter. I know. And uh, it's and, and I'm super frustrated at a lot of the people that do it. But the job needs to be done. And right now there are way more people, myself included, who would rather be a pundit than a reporter. But conservatives need to build news organizations, credible, legitimate, objective, as near as possible, right? Unbiased news operations. And there are some that are out there, some that I like. I follow a bunch of them. And if you are a patron of the program, you get the prep sheet. So you see that I link to a lot of these uh, these news organizations. But I read news from all over the place. You have to. But I also recognize that's that's really, really hard to do. This was the benefit, by the way, of the Drudge Report for so long. And, uh, and it's why I did not use it. Um, the Drudge Report was an aggregator, is an aggregator. So he would go through, and he still does, he goes through and he combs the internet, and he pulls all these headlines, and he pushes out sort of an assignment sheet. So you see all of these different news stories, and it directs and has directed talk radio coverage for a very long time. And Matt Drudge was all in for Scott Walker in 2016. Matt Drudge was a big fan of Governor Scott Walker. And then... Donald Trump got in, and when Drudge went to Trump, Walker's campaign died, and he got out like almost immediately. So, and then Drudge abandoned Donald Trump. He 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 turned on Trump. He doesn't like him anymore. So now a lot of the Trumpers hate the Drudge Report. So, you know, I I don't know what to make of this except to say that conservatives do need to build their own outlets, um, and they need to rival. In legitimacy and credibility, they need to rival these, quote, legacy mainstream media outlets as well. The problem is that they're not dominant in the culture, which is why I'm very excited to see that Ben Shapiro's company, Daily Wire, they actually made a movie. Have, have you seen this? It's a, was it Hide, Run, Fight, I think, or Run, Hide, Fight, something like that. Um, looks to be pretty good. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to go see it when I can finally get into a movie theater in this state. All right, that's a wrap for this episode. Thank you very much for listening. As always, I appreciate it. Remember, subscribe to the program. Give it a positive review as well. Uh, also, think about becoming a patron. Go to thepetecalendarshow.com. Talk with you later. Don't break anything while I'm gone. Mm-hmm.